God. So as I've been praying and, and studying this week, um, as you know, if you didn't hear the last two weeks' messages, you can, you can go back and listen to those. They're up now. I think we called it, what did we call it? Mind? Brain power or something. One and two. But I felt like that God was really laying a foundation over the last couple of weeks when we're talking about our minds and being renewed and being transformed by the resetting of our minds. And today, I just want to spend a few minutes talking to you about ownership. Right? And I don't believe you can really walk in this. I don't believe you can really own something unless you've transformed the way you think because it's not natural. So we're going to look at some natural ways that we as humans think and some of our natural go-to. Um, I had a lot more that I was going to talk about today, so I think we're going to, we're going to chop that thing in half so it's not too long. We can, we can chew on this, and then next week I'll, I'll bring you the rest because I wanted to talk to you about owning your worship was part of this, but I'm going to put that off. We're going to do, own, we're going to do worship next week. Today, I want to talk to you about ownership. Here's the definition of the word. Ownership, the act, state, or right of possessing something. The act, state, or right of possessing something. So I can choose to take action today, and I am going to possess something. It's the act or the state of something I already possess. Maybe you have ownership right now. Maybe you own or you're owning some things that aren't good. Right? We don't just need to own everything, take ownership of every single thing in our life. Like, I don't want to take ownership of my sin. Uh, like, there are some things in my life I don't want to, to own. So I want to examine that today. And then the act, the state, or the right. You know, there are some things that you have a right to. As sons and daughters of God, you have a right to certain things and you have authority in certain areas, but maybe you're not owning that, right? Maybe you've not taken ownership of something that is rightfully yours. And there could be several different reasons, but we're talking about ownership. So what do you own? Well, I own some stuff, a house, a four-wheeler, a truck. Like, you start thinking about stuff, but I want you to kind of get on a different track. Do you own your emotions or do they own you? It's one or the other. You can own your emotions or they can own you. Do you own your decisions? I mean, sometimes you're going to make the wrong decision. Sometimes you're going to make the right decision. But you should own your decisions. Do you own your decisions or do they own you? Maybe you don't even know. Like I'm asking these questions and you might be like, I don't know. Do I own my emotions or do my emotions own me? Like do I own most of the decisions I make or like I don't know. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know, here's a test for you. Think about your biggest problems. Like if I gave you a pen and a paper and said, hey, I want you to sit here and I want you to list the 10 biggest problems in your life. It could be things from the past. It could be things going on right now. The biggest problems that you have. So think about your biggest problems. I'm going to give you a couple seconds. You got it? Are they all somebody else's fault? Remember, this is the test. This will let you know if you're, if you're owning some things. Or maybe you're not taking ownership. Because if all your problems are somebody else's fault is something that he did or she did or it's well if the government didn't do this or was different or if my boss wasn't such a jerk or if my ex-wife didn't take everything then I'll be like if all your major problems that you can think of and you just gonna blame 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 everybody else for why all these big problems are then you're never going to fix the problems right you're never going to find healing or truly be the person that God's called you to be if you're blaming everybody else. You see, if it's always somebody else's fault, then you may have an ownership problem. 
Bless you. If you struggle with the same thing year after year after year after year, and job after job after job after job, relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship, church after church after church after church, ministry after ministry after ministry after ministry, rehab after rehab after rehab after, I mean, Right, if you, you just keep going same things over and over and over, then maybe there are some things in your life that you need to own. Like maybe there's some areas that you need to take ownership. Stop pointing the finger at everybody else or at circumstances or at other things and, and take some ownership. There's some things in our life that as mature sons and daughters, we have to own it. We have to walk in it. Winston Churchill tells a story about this woman that he met, and the woman really didn't like him. And uh, she, said, she finally got to talk to him, and she said, If I was your wife, I would poison your tea. You know what he said back to her? If you were my wife, I would drink it. Well, I'm glad they weren't married because that would have been a toxic and short marriage, apparently. <laughs> you know, we give too much power to other people. Power over our emotions and our feelings and our... Somebody can come up and just say something to us and make us have a bad day. Control our... And then our emotions take over and we're angry or we're upset or we're feeling unloved or he could have just allowed that woman and her not liking him to mess up the whole next speech he was about to give did he no he just said yeah if you were my wife i'd drink it that's we're not married for a reason we've got to own our emotions we've got to own our feelings if we want to look like jesus you think jesus ran around doing everything he felt like doing being a slave to his feelings? No. Some of you need to own the fact that there are certain people that you don't need to be around. We talked about that last week, about cutting out the negative influences because I know they're going to take me somewhere I don't need to go. Or I know if I go here, I'm going to do this or I'm going to think about this and that's going to make me do it and it's going to make me weak. So we own that. Healthy boundaries are a good thing. Why do I need to own certain things? Dusty, like I hear you. Now I understand what you're talking about, about you need to own it and ownership and all that. But why? Like really, is it a big deal if I own things or not? Why? As long as you are making excuses and pointing the finger at someone else or something else, it doesn't even have to be a person, you'll never change. Now, we've been talking about for the last two weeks about a transformation and a change and growth and that we can get better and that we can change and that we can heal and that we can be better today than we were yesterday and, and we want to be better next year than we are this year. I, I do. Hopefully you do. Ten years from now, I don't want to be just like I am right now. I want to be better. I want to be more mature. I want to be, I want to grow. That's how God created us. But as long as we're pointing at someone else or something else, it will never change, right? Because it's always somebody else's fault. When you blame someone else, you give up the power to change. Do you know that? Think about that for a minute. You have the power to change. We've been looking at scriptures that say that for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to look at some today. And God has given you the power for transformation. And he's given us his word that has transformation power in the word. But every time you choose to blame someone else, you give up the power to change. You give up the ability to fix the problem. So let's look at Genesis 3.8. Genesis 3.8. Y'all remember Adam and Eve? First humans ever created, the only ones alive on planet Earth. And they had the perfect life. They lived in paradise. They walked around naked and unashamed. 
they got to just eat fruit and chill and everything was good and God said just don't do this and they couldn't help it they chose sin they disobeyed God and they brought sin into the world scripture tells us because one man sin entered now right after they sinned they sewed up fig leaves and they ran and they hid from God because that's what sin does that's what making the wrong decision does is it causes shame and fear and guilt Verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called unto the man, Where are you? The thing about playing hide and seek with a little kid, like you think God didn't see Adam hiding behind the bushes over there? God knew where they were. It wasn't like... God's like, hey, where are you? Hey, Adam, come out wherever you are. And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, yes, God, I made a mistake. Is there forgiveness and grace for me? Like, how do I, how do I reconcile? I want relationship with you. No, that's not what he said. Uh-uh. No, what he didn't own his mistake. He didn't own his disobedience or his sin. Look what he said. But the woman that you put here with me, it, she gave me the fruit. It was her fault. It was the woman and. And if it wasn't her fault, it was your fault because you put her here. And so it was, so he's blaming the only other person. So you could say he's blaming everybody on planet earth and God for his disobedience. He's blaming everybody else for his sin, for his wrong. So rather than owning that before God and, and finding forgiveness for the, you think God would have forgiven him? I think so. But instead of owning that, he's pointing at the woman. He's pointing at God. But at least she was, the woman was more mature, right? See what she did. Forgot what verse I'm in. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate it. Then the Lord said unto the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, uh, the serpent, it was the snake. He made me do it. He tricked me. Pointing the blame. Pointing the finger. And, you know, that's what sin does. When we make a mistake or when we do something we're not proud of or when we, it, we always want to point out why it's somebody else's fault automatically when we feel guilt or we feel shame then we want to just point at somebody well if this didn't happen or if I wasn't there or if I wouldn't have, you know if I wouldn't have had this happen to me when I was a child then I probably wouldn't have reacted like that when you came at me like this I wouldn't have felt attacked and I like and, but rather than owning it and finding forgiveness and healing and and letting God transform us through that then we want to point the blame everywhere else. You know, as I read this story this week, I thought about something that I, hadn't, I haven't really thought of. What if Eve, when she was deceived by the snake and she got the fruit and she ate the fruit, and you all know the story, she brings the fruit to Adam and she gives it to Adam. Think about this. What if Adam would have covered her and protected her and said, Eve, we can't eat that. That would be sin and it would be disobedience to God. But I love you and so I'm going to go to God on your behalf and find you forgiveness. Then Adam would have been the savior of the world. Right? Because sin entered and then a spotless lamb. Adam had never sinned. But in that moment, he chose sin. So then Jesus had to come be the spotless lamb. But what if, what if Adam would have said no? 
right? What, like, but instead, Adam fell to temptation, and then Adam started the blame game, and then Eve followed Adam's example in the blame game. So she started blaming the snake because she looked to her husband who was supposed to be her protector and make her whole and that's what he did was blame so she just looked around for what I can blame when you blame someone else you give up the power to change the worst decision of their lives and they start blaming each other Adam's only job was to protect Eve and he threw her under the bus then Eve turned around and blamed the snake I find it interesting that the first thing that humans did after the worst mistake of their lives after choosing sin was to point the finger at someone else and not take responsibility for the decisions that they made they were automatically the victims. But if you're always the victim, then it's really hard to see a change. If you don't take ownership, you don't take responsibility. How do some people start so well and then fall apart? I've seen some church people fall apart. So it's not enough to just have faith or just believe in Jesus. Or even I've known people that read their Bible and then at some point they went crazy. So it's not enough to just come to church or just believe in Jesus or just read your Bible. Self-mastery begins with ownership if you want to master any area of your life then you must own it some of us have had other people make choices for us or do things to us and it has had a huge influence on who we are and the life that we live but even though it wasn't your fault it is your responsibility. Right? I've had things happen to me and things I wouldn't choose and things that were done to me. And so now, here they are, piled in my lap. It's part of my life. It's part of, it's things I went through. It's things that were done to me. They're... So even if these things weren't all my fault, right? They are my responsibility. What am I going to do with it? To say somebody abused me. That was not my fault. And I'm sorry for the areas of your life where there's been loss or abuse or pain or hurt. I'm not making light of that at all. There's areas of my life where I felt pain and hurt and loss and abuse as well. But it is my responsibility. It's not my fault. But it's my responsibility to release forgiveness, to grow, to own it, to say, yes, this happened to me, but I'm not going to allow it to define me. I'm not going to allow, to allow it to push me, to numb out. I'm not gonna allow it to control me. I will control it. Yesterday, um, they had the big tire recycling event up at the college, West Georgia College, and um, they have it every uh, every so often. They send a big 18-wheeler out there, and they have prisoners come out and some volunteers out there and stuff. And what it is is you can take your old tires, just old trash tires. You know, if you take them to the dump, they charge you, and you're not allowed to and it's horrible for the environment if you were to try to burn them or anything. So it's pretty much if you have old junk tires laying around your property, it's just these junky old tires you can't get rid of. So they do this big recycling event at the college, 
and each person can bring up to 10 tires. You can show up with 10 tires out of your yard and, and give them to them. And if you want to give a donation, you can, or a lot of people don't, but you're getting it cleaned up. So Malachi messaged me because he knew we had some old tires in our backyard. From Some of them were there when we moved in the house, and we tried to use them for different things. We've spray-painted them and made benches out of them around fire pits, and we thought about making chicken roosting things in them, all kind of stuff. To try to, But we had a bunch of old junky tires laying around. Malachi had a bunch of junky tires laying around his house. Is why he was so interested in it. So he loaded 10 in his truck. I had 10 on my truck. And uh, most or all of his were at the property he bought when he bought it. Most of mine were there when I bought them. When I was pulling out, I saw my mom and her SUV in the huge line of cars to drop off tires. And I was like, that's weird. Is mom dropping off tires? I sent her a message and said, you dropping off tires? She said, yeah, I had nine tires in there. And I was like, what? The 10 tires filled up the whole back of my truck. And I was thinking, how in the world did mom squeeze nine tires in that? Turned out some of hers were lawnmower tires, but still, it's pretty impressive. She had nine tires in the back of her SUV. And so, as soon as I got done dropping off the tires, it's this big sense. It, mom even said back in her text, I don't remember the exact wording, but, you know, doesn't it feel good? Or like a, a sense of accomplishment getting those old junky tires off of all of our property. Between me, Malachi, and Mom, that's 29 tires we got rid of laying around all three of our different properties. Right? That's pretty good. Um, and I came back up here and started working on the message. And I was sitting there thinking about it and how it applies so much to this message. Because, like, one or two of the tires out of my 10 were mine. I think only one. The rest of them were on my property when I bought it, when I took ownership of it. The same of Malachi. I'm not sure how many of mom's were hers or how many were. Probably not. I don't know. But as I sat there and thought about it, I didn't leave those tires on my property. I did have to kill a black, a giant black widow that crawled out of one when I was trying to load it on the truck and watch out for snakes and get tore up by mosquitoes because they get full of water in the tires and they're sitting over in the edge of the woods and then mosquitoes breed in them and you have a million mosquitoes on your property and it, there's plenty of bad things about the tires. Oh, and they just look junky. It's an eyesore. You can't get rid of them. You can't. And that's like a lot of the problems in our lives. You may not have even put it there. Right? You didn't leave it there. You, it was something that maybe someone else did to you or maybe just life and circumstances or maybe a hurricane came and took out your house. Well, you didn't pick that. You didn't do that. Maybe it was a trusted person that abused you when you were a child. You didn't choose that. And, it, and it's ugly, and it emotionally sits there, and it's in your mind, and it's this thing on your property, and you're trying to take ownership of your life and be the person that God wants you to be. And you got this old tire sitting there breeding mosquitoes that keep buzzing around, annoying and biting you. And every time you try to make a decision, you watch out for the black widow or the snake, and, and hopefully it can just stay at bay and be this junky little habitat for mosquitoes and snakes and black widows. But every now and then it gets so bad that a black widow bites you and then you end up swelled up going to the hospital because of some things that, that you didn't take responsibility for. So just because it's not your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. You want to take ownership of your life, then you take responsibility for everything in your life. And the bad things, you make a sacrifice on a Saturday morning kick them out. You make the sacrifice by going to counseling and doing the hard work and being honest and getting rid of those things before the black widow crawls out and puts you in the hospital. Before they end up junking up your mind and your heart and making you do things you don't want to do. You, you find healing. You take responsibility and throw out the old tires even if you didn't leave them there. If not, you're going to have a junky habitat for spiders, snakes, and millions of mosquitoes. Sound good?
If you will own defeat, then it will not own you. I said a couple of those tires were mine. Right? A couple of them were. One of them was from last week. Last Monday, actually. Not even a week ago. A bad decision I made to drive on a flat tire that was going flat. And I just put some air in it and drove on it anyways because I was trying to get somewhere. And it blew out. That was one of the tires that was in there. It was a decision I made. It was my tire. Yeah, I had to own that too. Instead of just chunking it in the backyard and pretending like it didn't happen or blaming it on somebody else. Well, if Jesse didn't spend so much money on groceries last week, I wouldn't have had enough money to put a new tire on my truck and then I wouldn't have had a blowout and then I wouldn't have been put behind. And then if the, right, I could point, start blaming, at other, blaming other people. Or I can own my mistake and get rid of the junk so that it doesn't affect me in the future. Yeah, it was a mistake. So what can I do? Learn from it. Get rid of it. Don't leave it laying around the yard. Move on. I think a lot of times as Christians, like we come to church and that's a great thing. And we get saved and that's an even better thing. And then we hand the author's pen, writing the story of our life, we, we hand it to God and say, here you go. Now you can write my story. And God says, oh no, you need to write your story. I'm just going to show you how. I'm going to help you find some healing and walk through it, but he hands you the pen back. Okay, well, God, now I'm saved and I'm writing my story and, and I hear from church all the time and I see reading the scriptures and I, and I see from looking at the life of Jesus that I need to help people, which is true. Your purpose will be helping humans. Your purpose is going to be tied to helping people. Right? That's what it is. You're, you don't have your God-given purpose is going to be helping people. But we got to be careful because it's really easy as Christians for us to get judgmental. Right? It's really easy for us to take a wrong stance and, and feel like, oh, I'm going to help this person and, and forget about our own stuff. I'm going to help people get their lives together. Cool. First, look at Matthew 7, 3. Look what Jesus said. Matthew 7, 3, Jesus said this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Imagine Jesus, he's saying this to his disciples. So Peter and John and Matthew, and they're all sitting around, and, and this is what Jesus is saying to them. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite or you actor. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What was Jesus trying to teach the disciples? He didn't say, I don't ever want you to help somebody. I don't want you to ever help somebody get the speck out of their eye. No, he was saying... I need you, if you want to be effective, I need you to own your problems. I need you to own, take ownership of the plank that's in your eye so that you can see clearly to help somebody else. Because right, if I got something in my eye and I'm trying to help Malachi get something out of his eye, I'm not going to be very effective. In fact, I might blind him trying to help. I don't want to be the kind of Christian that's running around trying to help people, but I'm actually hurting people because I've not dealt with my own stuff, and so I'm hurting somebody else in the name of God or in the name of helping them. And so I'm hurting them because I've not dealt with my own stuff. 
We all have stuff. We all have mistakes. We all have things that were done to us. We all have stuff. So we got to own that. And then we can help each other. We can help other people. Jesus is just saying, own your problems first, and you'll be a lot more effective in helping other people. A lot of times, once you own your problems and learn how to walk through your problems, or you learn how to find your own freedom, that's going to be the map that you use to help somebody else. Right? But if you're trying to help somebody get sober and you're not sober, then it's going to be really hard because you're trying to help get the speck out of their eye, but you still got a plank in your eye, so you don't really have the roadmap of how to be sober because you're not sober. So Jesus is just teaching the disciples, it's going to make it a whole lot easier if you'll deal with your stuff, and then I'm going to use that and let you use that to help other people walk through it. So just thinking about and studying about, looking up different verses and stuff about about owning your feelings and your decision and and owning not just bad things, but we need to own the good things too. You can own your joy, right? You take personal responsibility for that. You don't let circumstances determine whether you have joy. You're not supposed to. We don't let you can own that. Take ownership of your hope. You have a hope for a future and you take ownership of that. So it's not just all bad things, but... Have you ever been blamed for something? Put yourself on the other end of that pointing finger. Like blamed for something that you didn't do. I hate that. I can't stand it when I'm getting blamed for something I didn't do. I know that probably bothers some people more than it bothers other people, but I hate it. If I didn't do it, I hate it when people, if somebody thinks I did or acts like I did or passive aggressively accuses me, I can't stand that. And you probably feel that way too. And so what do you want in that moment? I mean, what I want is for whoever actually did it to own it. I want them to say. Right? I want Sky to say to Jesse, hey, Dad didn't eat the last pickle. I did. Rather than me to have to, you want them to own it. Why? It's not fair. It's not fair if people think I did something bad and I didn't. Because we all want life to be fair. But if you were going to own your emotions and own your decisions and take ownership of your life, then you got to cut that out. Cut that out of your vocabulary. It's not fair. Well, my mom told me life's not fair. Right, like it, it's not fair, so cut that out. You own your feelings, take ownership. When are you ever going to feel like exercising? Well, you're probably not, but you may determine that's something you need to do to own your physical health. Right, when does a kid feel like doing homework? They don't but it's something they need to do to get good grades, to have the education that they need to own their life or whatever field it is that they're trying to step into. If you always just do what you feel like doing, then you'll be a slave to your feelings, a feeling slave, and you'll never really be free or happy other people, circumstances, and life will have complete control of you. I don't know about you, but I want to be in control. I don't want my feelings to be in control in life and circumstances. And, and if something bad happens, then it takes my joy and it takes my hope and it takes my peace. And, and if somebody runs up after church and says something to me or does something to me, then I just can't control it and I lose it. No. no. I want to take ownership. So we own our feelings. We own our sin. When we make a mistake, we own it. 
We go to the people that we hurt and we make it right. We go to God, go to God first. We own our joy. We own our peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. It's a peace that the world can't give. It's a, or it's a peace that the world doesn't even understand. But I'm giving it to you. So if he gave it to you, it's yours. Right? Or remember the definition of the word. It's something that you have a right to. You have a right to possess the peace of God. So any time in your life that you're not feeling peace, it's because you're not possessing something that Jesus said is yours. You're not owning it. You forgot. You let feelings get too loud. You let other people or circumstances get so loud that you lost something that you're supposed to own. It's supposed to be yours. See, it's not about stuff. So, I'm going to wrap this up. But when we first started talking, I you know, I mentioned stuff like houses and trucks and four-wheelers and what do you own? Think about it's not even about stuff. Stuff comes and stuff goes and as Christians and go look at the life of Jesus. Jesus touched more people than anyone that's ever lived. And he did more, but he didn't have stuff. He didn't build buildings. He didn't, he didn't even, the Bible says the Son of Man he didn't even have a place to lay his head. It's not about owning stuff. And we get so mixed up sometimes that we think that to be a success, I gotta own more stuff. I gotta own a bigger house. I gotta own a better car. I gotta own this and that. I gotta have a million dollars in the bank account and have three Hellcats, right? Like we gotta own more stuff. Jesus said that's, that's, you do need to own some things, but that's not what it's all about. 2 Corinthians 6.10, I like how the New Living Translation words it. It says, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing or no things. And yet we have everything. It's not about owning a bunch of stuff. We can own no things and yet have everything. Yet be fulfilled, be satisfied, be happy, have joy and peace and love. It doesn't have to do with how much stuff we do or don't have. Look at Matthew 6, 19. This is Jesus talking again. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is. Wait, what is treasure? A collection of valuable things that you own. It's the things that you, you deemed valuable and you collected them up and you own those. This is my treasure. Where your treasure is, it's the place you will most want to be and end up being. That's what Jesus said. He said, don't, don't store up treasures on earth because moths and rust and burglars will bust in and steal them and Man, don't put everything in your nice new jacked up truck because it could get stolen or it's going to break down one day. or Like that's not what it's about. He says, store up treasures in heaven. Own the things that matter. There was a story in Acts um, after Jesus died and he rose from the dead and he gave the Holy Spirit. And there was this place in Acts um, first part of Acts where they had just gotten the the New Testament New Covenant church up and going and I'm sure you know the story that Peter and John were going they came to the gate beautiful and they were going to the temple to worship God and there was this this lame man laying there and he was begging for money and Peter of course big mouth Peter he steps up and says silver and gold have I none I ain't got no money man but such as I have, give I thee. 
in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he got up and walked. And Peter and John had such boldness and confidence that after that, they got thrown into jail for that. And they caused this huge uprising and they preached and 5,000 people believed what they were saying about Jesus. And the man was walking around and, and the temple police and the Pharisees and Sadducees were all freaking out because Peter and John, and so they grabbed him and they threw him in jail and they didn't know what to do and they had this big meeting and then they bring him out of jail. And I want to look at just a little part of that story. I just told you most of it. But Peter and John, they owned the fact that Jesus is who he says he is and that they were who Jesus said they were. They were owning that. They were walking in the confidence of that. When, when they stepped up to preach, Peter said, hey, we don't have money. I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I'm ready to give it out. And he gave it to that man. He got up and walked. And then with boldness, he began to speak about Jesus, that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And he came back, and he was raised from the dead, and he just started preaching. And with such boldness, that 5,000 people believed what he was saying, and the government was scared. The rulers of the day and the police, and they were all scared because these dudes were so powerful. We're going to jump in and read a little bit. After they were thrown in jail, and then they came and they surrounded them, and, and they brought Peter and John out, and they said, what do you have to say for yourself? And, uh, look at, let me read you Acts 4, verse 8. With that, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, let loose. Rulers and leaders of the people, if we have been brought into trial today for helping a sick man put under investigation regarding this healing, I'll be completely frank with you. We have nothing to hide. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you killed on a cross, the one God raised from the dead, by means of his name, this man stands before you healthy and whole. Jesus is the stone you masons threw out, which is now the cornerstone. Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved. Only this one. Now verse 13 says, they couldn't take their eyes off of them. Peter and John standing there so confident, so sure of themselves, their fascination deepened when they realized these two were laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. But with the man right before them, seeing him standing there so upright, so healed, what could they say against that? There was the proof. All these religious leaders and, and the temple police were standing there and all this, and, and they got them in the middle, and they've just locked them up, and, and Peter and John are standing there so boldly, and they start preaching, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, and, and they're like, oh gosh, what can we even say? Like they've got the fruit standing right beside them and they're so bold and these are just laymen. These guys have no education. They got no training in the scripture. They, they, these are just like Jesus' buddies that walked around with them. Yet they had this boldness about them because they were owning the fact that Jesus is who he says he was and we are who he said we are. And we're going to stand in that. We're going to walk in that. Peter and John owned the fact that the Holy Spirit was living inside of them. If you skip forward, and we're done. This is the last place I wanted to read you. We won't read the whole thing, but skip forward to verse 31. While they were praying, the, pre the place where they were meeting trembled and shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak God's word with fearless confidence. 
I want to speak God's word with fearless confidence. No matter what, the whole government was up against them. They were thrown in jail and they were speaking God's word with fearless confidence. The whole congregation of believers was united as one. One heart. One mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine. You can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the Master Jesus. And grace was on all of them. And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them. And they brought the price of the sale to the apostles and they made an offering of it. The apostles then distributed it according to each person's need. Joseph, called by the apostles Barnabas, I mean, his real name was Joseph, but for some reason they all called him Barnabas, which means son of comfort. A Levite born in Cyprus sold a field that he owned. He brought the money and made an offering of it to the apostles. So what does that tell us? That when the church came together and they became one and they were walking in this boldness and this confidence that it didn't matter what things they owned, fields and houses and stuff, like they realized what was more important than all of that was Jesus and what he had done in this relationship and this church that he had died to build and, and the oneness that they were experiencing, all these houses and land and stuff and what the world would call success, they were like, that doesn't even matter. They were just selling stuff and bringing it in and, and nobody had a need. God made sure that everybody had what they needed. It's not about owning stuff. It's not about giving your life to get more stuff. Then one day when you die, you had a lot of stuff. I don't know about you, but I want to leave a mark. I want to leave a legacy. Life's about relationship and connection. So I'm going to own my feelings. I'm going to own my sin. I'm going to own my forgiveness. It's a big key. If you don't forgive, then you're going to get bitter and you're going to carry around bitterness and you're not going to own it. It's going to knock you off track all the time. I'm going to own my forgiveness. It doesn't take two people to forgive. It takes one. I can choose to release forgiveness whether they say I'm sorry or not. It's something you choose. So I'm going to own my forgiveness because I want to look like Jesus. That as he was getting his beard ripped out and people were punching him and spitting on his face and stripped him down naked and made fun of him, he said, Dad, forgive them. They don't know. They've been through a lot of hurt and pain. They, they don't know what they're doing. Please don't hold this to their account. Don't make them pay for the wrongs that they're doing. I'll pay. You imagine that? Somebody punching you in the face and ripping your beard out and they've stripped you naked and they're making fun of you and whipping you to be like, hey, forgive them don't make them pay in fact I'll I'll take their punishment take ownership of your pain and take ownership of your healing right? find healing whatever that looks like take ownership of your healing what if you focused what if you made a decision today and focused on finding a solution instead of finding fault. You can find a fault in everything. You can find somebody to blame. But what if you switched your focus and tried to find a solution? Right, how am I going to fix this? How could I make this better? What could I have done to change the outcome here? See, the first Adam that we looked at to start with, 
he pointed a finger. And the last Adam, Jesus, he opened his arms. The first Adam ate from a tree. He blamed everyone else on earth and God. The last Adam, he died on a tree. And he took the blame for everyone on earth. First Adam, she did it. The last Adam, I'll take it. The first Adam just lived to die. And the last Adam died so that others could live. See, Jesus deserved nothing. And he took the blame for everything. That's Jesus. That's our example. That's what we want to look like. He never sinned. He didn't make a mistake. Anything that was done to Jesus, it wasn't his fault. But yet, he stood there at the end in that garden and he said, Nevertheless, not thy will, but my, not my will, but thy will be done. I'll pay the price. I'll take the blame for everything. For this broken humanity and all the mistakes and all the pain and all the abuse and all the ugly, I'll take it. Jesus took ownership and he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And now we have the freedom to do the same, to walk in that, to live in that because of what he did for us. Let's pray. God, we want to be mature sons and daughters. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We don't want to just wake up and read our Bibles and come into church and and hear a nice little message. But God, we want it to transform us. We want your word to come into our heart and our soul and change us from the inside out so that we can be happy, that we can be mature, that we can be a light and salt to the world around us that God, we want to show you to the world. We want to help broken people. And God, we understand that we must find healing for ourselves. So God, today we own our mistakes. We own our failures. And we make a decision not to point the finger at everyone else, not to point the blame at everyone else. But we take responsibility for everything in our life, whether we put it there or not. God, help us to get rid of the old tires because some of them have been there for a long time. Some of them have kudzu growing all around them and they might have some pretty dangerous things living in them. So God, we're going to need your help. But we thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that when we turn our hearts towards home that you're the kind of father that comes running after us. God, we love you. Thank you for grace and mercy, and thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.